reading this morning is from Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, as you can see behind me, on page 1090. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for, my, for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Good morning, everyone. If you are a visitor here, it's great to have you join us at St. Matthew's for our family service. I'm going to pray and then we're going to think about the ascension. More from that later. Let's pray. Father, it's great to be here in church. Lord, it's wonderful to have Dave and Crystal and the family with us. We continue to pray for your blessing and protection and power to be with them and upon them. But Lord, as we come now to open your word and to look at it, we pray that you would help us to see the gems of truth that can change our life. And most of all, Lord, help us to understand that Jesus is on the throne in heaven with us now. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you're familiar with um, this picture. Do you know what it is? Where's Wally? Now, who's familiar with Where's Wally? A lot of people. Well, if you're not familiar, Where's Wally is a kind of cartoon book designed to keep your children occupied, particularly good for travelling long trips in the car. Um, and the whole goal of it is you will try and work out where is Wally. And there's lots of characters that are dressed like Wally, um, and you've got to try and find Wally within there. And the question is, where's Wally? What's he doing? I've got kind of an affection for Wally because Wally's tall, dark, skinny, and he wears hooped shirts. And I used to have a hooped shirt, and I kind of think, yeah, I could have been Wally. Well, here's Wally here in the uh, picture, right next to the postcard. And can you see him there? There he is. Now, why do I start with where's Wally? Today we're looking at the Ascension. Uh, we've been on a journey over these last three weeks. We had Easter Sunday last week. It's amazing. It doesn't seem like a week ago. It seems like a month ago. Um, that's the nature of this season. So many things happening. Week before that, we had Palm Sunday. We had the powerful story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Then we had Good Friday, his death on the cross. Last Sunday, risen from the dead. We often leave the story there and move on. 
But there's more to say at Easter, and in particular, we want to look today at the Ascension. And the Ascension is, if I can say, the next part of the story of Jesus having risen from the dead. It's his return to heaven. And you've got those verses there that were read by Justin, and I'll just read one of them. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And what we're talking about today is the question of where is Jesus and what's the significance for us today in terms of what does it mean. And I want to look this morning at these two questions as we finish our Easter series before we get to the thrilling, exciting, life-changing series on Leviticus. Let me say, too much bad press that has put people off eating crustaceans from the book of Leviticus. We're going to have a great time and let me say one of the highlights of the year is going to be on the June long weekend. Don't miss it. We've got a open spit that's going to be going all day, it's feasting day, okay? So don't plan on going away that weekend. But the ascension, two things, what is it and what does it mean for us today? Well firstly, what is the, resi- what is the ascension? To think about it, we need to first think about the resurrection and go back six, seven days to last Sunday. Because the ascension is the ascension of the risen Lord Jesus. And it's worth saying this, um, when Jesus came into this world... He was the Son of God, always was. From all eternity, He was the Son. He took on flesh and blood in His incarnation, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. That the one who is the eternal Son of God actually became one of us and flesh, blood, human emotions, all of those things, family, etc., part of His life. I think sometimes people think, okay, Easter's finished, resurrection's happened, Jesus kind of leaves his body behind and just goes back to be with God, his Father in heaven. That's not what happens. In his resurrected state, he takes his body with him to heaven. And Jesus still is in his body. Now, it's kind of odd to say it that way, but you see, he is God and he is human. And he's not left that behind. In fact, it's the opposite. He's actually taken our humanity with him into heaven. Now, it's not the humanity like us which is fallen, frail, decaying, mortal. His body was that as he grew up. He took on mortal flesh, though he wasn't sinful. But in his resurrected state... He took on an immortal body, which does not fade out, which endures, which is perfect. And it's this resurrected body he takes with him to heaven as the risen Son of God. That's profoundly important, you see, our current bodies are perishing, mortal and sinful. And the longer you live, the more you know the reality. Uh, I often joke, the four Ds of ageing are things either drop, droop, drip or drag. That's just the reality of life. Now, that is not what happens in the resurrection. With the resurrection, we go from a mortal body to an immortal body, a perishable perishable body to an imperishable. And the first resurrected person of the new creation is the Lord Jesus Christ, And he has taken that body back to heaven. And it tells us that we too, when we are resurrected, 
will be in heaven in the presence of God. Because you see, currently we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God by ourselves. And we're going to learn all about that, what it means to dwell in God's presence as we go through Leviticus. And so the resurrected Jesus has taken his resurrection body, immortal, imperishable, with him to heaven. And that's the second thing, he's ascended to heaven. And Luke's account here at the beginning of the book of Acts describes this way, the ascension. And if you've got your Bibles, you can have a look, page 1090. We're going to look at a whole range of verses this morning. Most I'll put on the screen, but it's worth having your Bibles open. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. In other words, he was taken up and he went to heaven. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Now the description is plain, though it is worth saying it's entirely out of this world in numbers of ways. I mean, this is the ultimate stairway to heaven, Led Zeppelin, eat your heart out, okay? That is an interesting sound. And it's just finished. Anyway, we'll keep moving. Now, when you read about heaven, I don't know what you imagine. But the Bible uses the language of heaven or heavens in slightly nuanced ways and slightly different ways. One is heaven, if I can say with capital H, is the dwelling place of God. And so God dwells in heaven. You can see that all through Scripture. Psalm 14, verse 2, classic, the Lord looks down from heaven on all humanity. And so that's where God is. Now, heaven, though, is different to the heavens, which is also referred to through Scripture, but that can be, just if I can say, another way of talking about the sky and the heavens. And so Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. In other words, the heavens are kind of the, the, the high areas of our universe that we talk about. That is different to heaven. Now, who's familiar with this guy? Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gargan. He was the first man in space. Now, the Americans got the first people on the moon, but they weren't the first to go into space. And he was asked when he returned to Earth, numbers of questions. One was, did he see God? This was his response. I looked and looked, but I didn't see God. And so his summation was, QED, there is no God. Now, it's a wrong understanding of heaven and the heavens. He was up, you could say, in the heavens, but he actually didn't go to heaven. Heaven, if I can put it this way, is a real place whose location is unknown to us. And we're unable to perceive it by our natural senses. Now, if I can put it this way, if the church building, just think about this church building here, okay? Um, Imagine that the boundaries of this are the extent of the universe. We would be like a tiny atom here, uh, microscopic in comparison in space. But imagine this is the universe. When the ascension happened, 
It's not like Jesus went to the bell tower, okay, or up the organ loft. In other words, he's in some far distant place where you just can't see him. That's not what we're talking about here in Scripture. He's gone to heaven, which is a real place, and it's a spiritual place, but it's physical as well because he is there with his body. He hasn't lost his body, but yet we can't see it yet. On rare occasions, though, people in Scripture got glimpses of it. I'll show you one. The first Christian martyr is called Stephen. Stephen stood up to the Jewish leadership of the day and really railed against them and spoke of their corruption and the way that they had always sought to dismiss God's prophets. They're not happy with him. In fact, they're completely unhappy and they go to stone him to death. This is what happens at the end. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so there is a reality which is real and it's spiritual and of which Jesus is a part of physically, but it's hidden from us. But yet on occasions you see people have their eyes open spiritually so they can see. And that's why I say it's not like he's disappeared to some far-flung galaxy of the universe like the bell tower. He's actually in this universe that is real. Now, my brain started to hurt this week when I was thinking about all this, okay? Because we're talking about um, different dimensions beyond our three or four dimensions of space, three dimensions, time, fourth, you start to add a fifth in terms of there's a spiritual dimension to life. We're not just flesh and blood. And the reality of heaven is God dwells in this place. Now, if your brain's hurting, mine's hurting as well, okay? And it's hidden from us. Now, we know it's real because you see all through Scripture that there are angels and demonic forces that are part of this, if I can say, reality that we can't quite see, but we know the experience and the reality of it. And Stephen, as he's about to die, basically gets spiritual sight so he can see the Lord Jesus there, physically. And Jesus does that to assure him, hang in there. And if you want a vision like that, go for it. I particularly don't want to get stoned. <laughs> I'm happy to leave that one and wait till I die and then I'll see him, okay? Now... That's the reality. He has gone to a place called heaven that is a spiritual place, incorporates physicality, but yet we can't perceive it and see it by plain sight. Now, next thing to note, he's ascended to heaven and he's seated on the throne. And this is the really significant thing about the ascension. I want you to think about um, coronations and queens and kings. Who's seen uh, The Throne? Netflix, great series. Now, that is the throne for the Queen or King of England. The crown, sorry, thanks Dave. And if you go to England, this is what's called the coronation chair. And it's historically known as St Edward's chair. 
to ascend can mean a number of things. It can mean you just walk up a hill. So you could ascend to North Head. You could ascend to the bow tower. You could ascend to the organ loft. And that's speaking, if I can say, using language physically in terms of what we would do literally. But it also means symbolically you can ascend. And so a king or a queen literally ascends to a throne. Now, the interesting thing is this throne was commissioned in uh, 1296 by King Edward I. It's been used for eight centuries. All the monarchs have been coronated using it. The chair currently resides at St George's Castle in the nave of Windsor Castle. That stone you can see there was from Scotland and the Brits pinched it. Well, that's my take on it. But anyway, the British had a predilection to taking things that belonged to other people. And uh, they come from all over the world. Anyway, Queen Elizabeth II, it's worth saying, has allowed it to return to Scotland. You can see it in Edinburgh Castle. And it comes back for coronations, special events. Now, why do I mention that? Well, it's interesting. When you read Wikipedia describing Queen Elizabeth becoming the Queen, this is our current Queen of England, this is what it says. Elizabeth ascended the throne at the age of 25 upon the death of her father, King George VI, on the 6th of February 1952 and was proclaimed Queen by her various privy and executive councils shortly afterwards. Now, trivia question. What is significant about that date and what didn't happen on that date? I'll read it again. Ascended the throne on the age of 25, 6th of February 1952. Who knows their history? Come on, Brits. Come on, Jamie. Penny? She wasn't crowned. She was crowned a year later, 1953. That's when this happened, and you can see her on that seat. But what's interesting is, when did she ascend? It was actually the year before. The coronation service took 14 months to organise. Such a big event. But you see, once King Edward had died, there was a small amount of, you can see, legal things and procedural things to happen. But she ascended to the throne and she was queen. The coronation service was to really symbolically enact what had already taken place. But I want you to note the language. Ascension means to ascend to a throne. When we're speaking of Jesus' ascension, what we're talking about is him not just disappearing upstairs. We're talking about him ascending to a throne. It's why he couldn't stay on earth. And what's interesting is when you read the sermons of the early church, and they're there in the book of Acts, the thing that they most want to communicate is this. Here's the first sermon, Acts chapter 2, I'm reading from verse 33. And speaking of Jesus, Peter says this at the kind of culmination of his message, He's exalted to the right hand of God. In other words, he's ascended to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And of course, the day of Pentecost has begun and the Holy Spirit has come upon the people. For David did not ascend to heaven. That's interesting. David did ascend to a throne in Israel, but he did not ascend to the throne in heaven. For David said, Psalm 110... 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In other words, there's a prediction in the Old Testament, Psalm 110, written by David who would ascend it, if I can say, an earthly throne, that there's actually going to be another one who comes who ascends and he's going to sit at the right hand of God until the enemies are defeated and made a footstool for the feet. Therefore, all Israel, be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And the word Messiah simply means anointed king. In other words, David ascended a throne in Israel. Jesus whom you killed has actually now ascended and is exalted. And he's on the throne in heaven as Lord and king. And that was the message they took out to the world. The one you killed is now risen and he's king. And what's fascinating is the description of, if I can say, the non-Christian people of the day, the way they reflected on the message of the early church. And so here's Acts chapter 17. Well, there's the first one, Jesus, you crucified both the Lord and Messiah. This is Acts 17. And this is not from the church. These are people who are watching the church. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And they're talking about the Christians who've gone out on mission to take the news of Jesus out. They've now come here. It's in Athens. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. Naughty Jason. Um, They're all defying Caesar's decrees. How? Because they're saying there is another king called Jesus. And you see, that was what the early church was known for. They said, Caesar's, Caesar's not the one who's the king. Jesus is. And that was the great catchphrase, which is why in Romans 10, who will be saved? Those who believe in their heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confess with their mouth what? Jesus is Lord. And they were effectively saying, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord, he is the king. Because he is the one who is exalted, who is ascended, who is on the throne, who is reigning. Now think with me, what does this mean for us? And I want to say it is very significant what it means for us. But to begin explaining that, I want to use an illustration. I once worked as a civil engineer. And let me say, it was a small part of my life. The world is, I think, safer than I'm not an engineer anymore. But for a period, I was down the south coast, living in Chira Beach, working between the towns of Bega and Marimbula on what's called the Tantawanglo State Forest Dam. And it was a water supply dam that was put in by the south, in the south coast for the people of the region um, back in the 80s. And I had the joy of doing a lot of the surveying work, and in particular the quarry. And there was a quarry that was there that they literally would blast fairly regularly, and they'd get the rocks out, and they would then use the rocks to build the dam wall. Now, my job was to measure how much rock was excavated each week, and we would pay the contractors accordingly. What took me a week, now with drones, they can do in about five minutes. Amazing how technology changes. But you see, when you were exploding the rock, you would have explosives. Now, you would have your explosives, which is very powerful, but you'd have to have a detonator, which was then fired, and the detonator would fire the explosives. No detonator, it doesn't matter how much explosives you've got, no explosion. Now, the detonator for Easter is the ascension. It's what brings to life and explodes the power of Jesus' death and resurrection into our lives. 
And if we didn't have the ascension, there would be no explosion spiritually in people's lives. You see, with the ascension, it explodes the healing and saving power of Jesus into history. Now, just think with me about the story of Mary when she meets Jesus on the first Easter Sunday. I'll set the scene for you if you're not familiar. It's Easter Sunday. Peter, John, they go to the tomb. Mary has been there. And Mary and the women have gone to anoint the body, thinking it's now after the Sabbath day, they can go back and finish the burial ceremonial preparations and duties they had to perform. They find the tomb is empty, the stone's been rolled away, Mary wanders away wondering what's happened, the boys come, Peter and John, they're also stunned, they can't work it out, they walk away. Mary then goes, and she's in the garden of the area where the tomb was, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. In verse 16 we read this, Jesus said to her, Mary, and she thought she's talking to a gardener. And suddenly though, she hears her voice. And she recognises it's the voice of her Lord, Jesus. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said these words to her, they're famous words. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Now, it's a very natural reaction. They loved him, they'd seen his power, his miracles, his teaching. He died. And in the first encounter, she's thinking, I want to hold on to him. (laughs) I don't want you to go away again. And he says, no, I've got to ascend. And it's fascinating the language he uses. See, what he's saying is, I've got to go to my throne. And Mary thinks it's going to be worse off if he goes. Jesus thinks, no, it's better off for you if I go. Think about it. The disciples, they didn't want him to go because they thought, no, no, we've, we've got you here. You can stay here and keep doing your power and displaying your miracles and all, all of that. And Jesus says, no, it's actually better for you if I go. I've got to ascend to the throne. Because the ascension would take all that Jesus did and said and release it into the lives of all believers with all of its healing and saving power. And you see, if Jesus had stayed on earth, the power of Easter would not be detonated through the world. He would be contained to where he could walk. And that'd be nice for those who could talk to him, but it wouldn't affect the world much. But when he rose and ascended, he sat on his throne. And what happened then? He pours his Holy Spirit out on all believers, all ages, all sexes, all races. And the power of Easter is released in the world, in the lives of his followers. It's incredible. You see, Mary and the apostles saw Jesus' ascension as the absence of Christ and the absence of his leadership and protection But Jesus knew the ascension literally meant he will never leave them. And you see, have a think about his last words in Matthew's Gospel. What does he say? Having commissioned them to go out, he can say, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
And we know that reality in our own experience, don't we? And you know why we know it's objectively true? It's because he's on the throne and we hear him and he speaks to us and he strengthens us and he comforts us by his spirit that is now poured out on all believers. You see, what is dynamite spiritually in a person's life? And think with me about the change that takes place between the disciples pre and post the ascension. And I say the ascension because, you see, even in the resurrection, they're thrilled, they're excited, but they still haven't worked it out. But once he ascends to the throne, what happens? That's when the real prayer and praise meeting starts happening. And when you read Luke's gospel, which is kind of the back end of the front end of um, the book of Acts, he ascends and what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem for a praise and worship meeting. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. He ascends and what happens? They start praying and there's great joy. Because they've now been given a vision for who this is. He is the risen King of Kings. He's the name that's above every name. And he's on the throne. And this has profound implications for all of us. How is it I can send a text message to someone who pastorally is going through an incredibly difficult time and have any confidence that God is with them? How is it we could pray for a persecuted Christian who is in jail and have any confidence that God is with them? How is it that I can speak to someone and say, God is going to be with you? It's because of the ascension. And it's because he's on the throne. How is it I could say to someone who is a Christian and has lost a great deal because of their stand for Christ, that I can assure them everything will be okay. I can do it because I can help them understand Jesus is on the throne and he's ruling. And yes, you may have difficulties in this life at one level for a momentary time, but Jesus will finally receive you into his kingdom for all eternity. Why? Because he's seated on the throne and friends he is with us it's why in the most deep and dark places of Africa in the most sophisticated metropolises of the western world in the most dangerous parts of Christendom today where Muslims are killing Christians we can have confidence that the risen Lord Jesus who is on the throne is with all of us and we can all hear his voice speak to us. We can all be filled by his power. We can all be strengthened to serve him. And we can go out and make a difference in this world in his name. Because the detonator has gone off. And the power of Jesus' death and resurrection has been released to the world by the wonderful Spirit of God. And friends, if you've got no joy today in Christ, I want you to stop and think about this. Jesus is on the throne and he's on there for us and pray that God fills you with joy knowing that he's on the throne there for you and that he would fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit this day.
Let us pray. And I just want us to be quiet for a moment now. And just stop and pray to the risen, ascended, exalted Lord Jesus. That you would walk every day hearing his voice and being strengthened by his spirit. And know that he is with you to the very end of the age. Let's just pray quietly and then I'm going to pray for us all as we close. Risen Lord Jesus, we want to worship you this morning as the risen King of Kings. You are above all, you're the name above every name, the one before which all knees will bow on that final day. By your Spirit, help us to see you and have a vision of you ascended on high. Fill our hearts with joy and peace in believing. Strengthen us when we're going through difficult times. And Father, I pray for those today who might be in difficult circumstances that they would know you with them by the spirit of the lord jesus christ fill our hearts today we pray in jesus name amen and friends if you are going through a tough time we would love to pray with you so that you would know and have a special touch of god's spirit in your life to reassure you that god is with you in whatever the trial or difficulty that you're going through whatever the wisdom you need power you need assurance you need if that's you here this morning and you need you'd love someone just to walk with you, to listen to you and to pray for you. Please do come and join us at the front after the service. We'd love to be praying for you. Let's stand though and sing.